I'm in the middle of a cold, which peaked uh, when I had to speak at a DevOps internal conference. That was fun. What did you speak about? The HashiCorp stack. Talked about Terraform and Packer and Vault. Did you all see Vault? I saw the headlines. I don't know what it is. It's a place to store secrets for your organization. So every DevOps consulting place I've, I've been at, um, every, every client has had the same problem where, where the question is always like, where do we put our, our secrets? And, and you always hear the question people learning Chef too is when they're starting to build the recipes and their cookbooks out. Well, I ask, where do I put, you know, things like passwords and SSH keys? Chef has this thing called encrypted data bags, but they're not the most, uh, I'll say ergonomic to use. They're not too bad. The most ergonomic? Yeah. <laughs> you get the, you, Like, it's not as easy as just like, you know, get and set this thing from this place. It, it's more like a little more complex than that. So Vault is a uh, service that you run in your infrastructure that encrypts data that you give it uh, and it audits people that access that data, both users and clients such as like your services and your infrastructure or your deploy scripts that are reading those secrets and writing them to what they're deploying. But the other cool feature is that it can dynamically generate passwords for both um, right now I think Postgres and AWS. So if you're deploying a server that needs access to like let's say an S3 bucket on Amazon, at the time you're deploying it, you can ask Vault for a set of IAM, you know, a key and a secret, the the username password combination kind of thing. And it will generate one on Amazon and give it to that that server only. Or you could build it into your application too so that your application has to actually request one when it needs one. And then, then there's like leases and they time out. Um, so it's kind of cool because you can like um, have a, like either in Postgres or AWS, like a, a username and password for every every app using that or every, every like every server using it. And then if you ever have a security breach, you can revoke either all the... Um, all the credentials that a, a, let's say, a server used or all the credentials that a user had access to. Um, somebody like leads your organization, you can revoke all their credentials they had access to. And then the services would just uh, presumably renew their, their lease and get a new one. It's gotten really good uh, response. I think it's been out like a week and a half, and it already has like over 2,000 stars on GitHub. Hmm. So it's kind of like a programmable 1Password. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a one password for your infrastructure. That's a good way to think about it. Hmm. Uh, it could also encrypt data that you give it and just give it, give you back the encrypted data. Um, so that, that can be handy in some situations, I guess. Uh, it also has this cool concept of, uh, of sealing and unsealing. So when it starts, it can't even read the data that's encrypted on the disk. You need to unseal it. And it uses this algorithm called uh, Shamir secret sharing. So that, let's say you have... Um, Maybe you have like five senior people on your ops team or, or management team or whatever. You can generate five different unseal keys and require that at least, let's say, three of them are given to unseal the vault. And it can be any three. So that's a, that's a pretty cool algorithm. People joke that you need a quorum of people to unseal your vault. And that protects against like if, uh, if somebody were to like just take the raw data off site, they couldn't just unseal it by themselves. They should have had this back when the dude from Goldman Sachs took the data. Oh, did that happen? I'm sure. I'm sure it's happened a bunch of times, but yeah, well, he got caught. And I think it's a significant case in the computer internet world uh, because it could set precedence to what happens. I don't know if they uh, gave him a sentence yet, but it's been in the news. Oh, three stories. He basically took data. It was like a few years ago, and uh, he routed it through Germany, I think, to um, to cover his tracks. And then they caught him. And then the, his lawyer is arguing that he technically didn't steal it because he didn't do anything with it. He just like, he kind of took it. I don't, I don't remember the exact words his lawyer used, but he was, the lawyer was arguing he didn't do anything wrong with it, um, so he shouldn't be charged. So he didn't steal anything. That. He just he was breaking and entering. <laughs> kind of, I guess. It still He's, seems illegal. Yeah, because I guess. You probably have a work computer, and all your work code is on your work computer. And, and if he's willfully, like, one night just copying stuff. Then... So what would happen with this ceiling if somebody required for the quorum, like, got fired or bus factor? Like, what would happen if they just vanished? You'd still have, presumably, the other people that could still unseal it, and maybe you pass the keys around. Um, I'm not completely sure of the internals of it, but I'm sure there's a way to, like, regenerate the sealed keys, too, if you have enough of them. But I haven't, I haven't tried that. I am not an expert on it. I just worked for the company that made it. <laughs> and it doesn't prevent 
say if someone gets access to your database server, you still have to destroy the server, right? Because even if you revoke their key, I guess they get revoked. Yeah, it's good practice if you've been hacked to destroy the actual server that's been hacked because there's no way of actually... Like any anything that a, a hacker could presumably do, they could also hide their tracks and you wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's a, uh, it's a big security issue to keep a server that has been compromised running. Um, I would hope that people wouldn't actually access the server, they would just access the data in the database in that instance. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Unrelated, but your news story reminded me of, there was this, I think it was LA County, I don't know. Um, there was a network engineer that like built the entire city's network and then uh, held it ransom. <laughs> like he, I think he turned it off and then only he knew the password to, to fix everything. So the mayor had to like go uh, go plead him while he was in prison to to give him the password. Why was he in prison? Well, because he was holding the uh, the city ransom, like the the city's network. Oh, you said he built the network. Yeah, he was he was an employee or a contractor. I'll, I'll find the article and put it in the show notes. But um, I, I'm pretty sure that he was an employee or a contractor. Built the entire. He was in charge of the entire network for the city. So all the routers and and network switches and the. I'm assuming they're like Cisco switches or whatever. They have like a root password and only he knew it. And then he essentially broke the network on purpose and was holding the network ransom by saying, you know, pay me this much and I will give you the password. Or maybe it was some, uh, you know, political or humanitarian cause. But either way, he was holding the network ransom. And I guess that was cause enough to put him in jail. Have we sold any stickers? (laughs) We sold one more. I think we sold three total. Have we even plugged that on the show? Yeah, we have. Oh. But yeah, go to go to Turing.cool, and there's a button that says stickers, and you click it, and you can buy a sticker for, I think, $2.77, and it's free shipping. But yeah, we definitely did plug in the show, because I was listening to the podcast when I was moving the lawn last week, and Pam and I were talking about it. Yes, I listened to our podcast. <laughs> it's good to listen to the podcast. I mean, I kind of justify it by thinking that there'll be surprises from Lynn's editing. <laughs> There's not usually surprises, but also it's good practice. To, it's good practice because yeah, um, I mean that's also ear. why I don't want to record at night anymore because like I listen to me sounding just completely out of it when we recorded after 10 p.m. I need my sleep, you guys. Yeah, I'm definitely happier in the morning. I'm a morning person. Sorry, not sorry. It's also depressing when I listen to myself how many times I say um and pause eh. and, and I, I don't construct sentences the way I, I'm thinking them. Which is just oh, you know, this actually this is actually a, a good opportunity to mention. Uh, you all know the technically speaking newsletter. No. Uh, well, it's in. So this is uh, since you're talking about talking, it's like here's segue into an actual thing. So technically speaking, is a an email newsletter, and they just they got a you know they also have a sweet top level domain, so they have techspeak.email. Pretty sweet for an email <laughs> newsletter, right? Um, but so so that's news because they have the website. But then they also have, if you look at their latest issue, um, they they have their six month anniversary, and so they have a a like a contest, I guess you would say, going on. Um, so different prizes, and the prizes include tickets to conferences, a few books about speaking, um, about conference videos, and you can enter the contest. By tweeting about uh, speaking tips uh, or about the newsletter, you can get points for that, or you can write a blog post. It's like it's kind of like a manual raffle copter kind of deal. Um, so there's like you know you get one point for tweeting, two points for writing a testimonial for the website, uh, four points for writing a blog post. So I'll probably write a blog post because um, I think it would be also cool to show like let people know about the competition because there's and it's also good. So they also post. Um, uh, call for proposals in the in the newsletter, so it's also good for that. Um, it's just nice if you're if you're thinking if you are not already a tech speaker, it's a tool that I recommend to people. And kind of, I'm it's cool that they made it six months, but I also feel like I've been reading it for longer, so it's it's definitely high quality. So I don't know. It's uh by uh who is it? Yeah, Chuki Chan and Kate Hudson. Kate Houston. Hudson. Not Kate Hudson. <laughs> Kate Huston? Houston? But yeah, you made me think of that when you were talking about speaking and trying not to 
to use filler sounds. That's actually what they are. They're, they're filler sounds. What they do, they serve a very important purpose when you talk. When you speak and you say, um, or something like that, you're letting the other person know that you aren't done talking. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. Like, it's actually a very natural thing. It makes a lot of sense because the way we talk, if someone, you know, says da 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 then you think they're done talking, but they might not be. And then you start talking and they say, well, I'm not finished. Like, well, you, you sounded finished, so okay, fine. Like, vocal vocal filler stuff actually serves a purpose for that. It's like a I mean, semaphore for, for we're, Yeah, speech. we're taught to this bad, but, I mean, it actually serves a really useful... I have to Google semaphore. Thanks, Justin. I thought you were going to say vocal filibustering. Filibustering? <laughs> <laughs> Embrace the um. What? Okay, what is a semaphore, Justin? I don't know. I think it's a mutex. A what? <laughs> um, so sure. a mu- no no a mutex is uh, a thing where uh, if if you're running like multi-threaded programming right and you want to read a read and write a value well, if you want to write a value especially um, if you want to write it to make sure nobody else is going to write it while you're writing it you wrap it in a mutex and then you lock the mutex or you call sync block or whatever uh, okay. which which prevents anybody else from doing the same. Because when they call lock, it will fail. And then you unlock when you're done. And as far as I know, a semaphore is exactly the same thing, but I'm probably wrong. Uh, I mean, when I was Googling mutex, it literally, I mean, it's probably because I had just Googled semaphore, but it says mutex versus semaphore. Oh, yeah. I just probably read here's that. A, here's a tiny link. <laughs> That's a. <laughs> oh, Wikipedia a, has um, one too. An extended, an extended example using a toilet as the example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mutexes it's too long to concept. read on here, but I'll put it in the show notes. So Wikipedia says mutexes have a concept of an owner. Mutexes may provide priority inversion safety. No idea what that means. Mutexes may also provide deletion safety. The first sentence says a mutex is essentially the same thing as a binary semaphore. I think I first learned about semaphores because I was doing some like Windows Server DNS or DHCP thing deployment, and it was like semaphore failed, and then I had to like Google it and try to look at Microsoft Tech Notes and hate myself. Uh, but now I'm a programmer, so I guess I can use them. Locks and distributed computing. Um, Completely unrelated, but there's a new language, programming language called Pony Lang. That <gasps> I wanna... Ponies. Um, it has a Python-like syntax. High performance and, uh, actor. <laughs> don't search for Pony Lang because you'll get Google images that are not relevant. Um, yeah. Oh, you you might have thought Pony Land. Um. <laughs> uh, no, I got I got Lang's horse and pony farm. Yeah, I got um, I got Pony Lang. It just asked that I thought I wanted to search Pony Land. Uh, uh, pony is an I object mean, oriented. It's not wrong. It's an um, ob- object oriented actor model capability secure high performance programming language. I just like that it has first class actors. I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, yeah, first class. That sounds cool. I mean, I wish that languages. I mean, I guess like they're communicating a lot in one sentence, but it sounds really obnoxious. <laughs> It just sounds super obnoxious, and their website doesn't even have a pony on it. Is it a so, language that's meant? That's just, I mean, they're not delivering. Language that what? That is meant to be used, or is it just someone's toy language? Like all languages are meant to be used. I mean, you can use anything if you want. Yeah. It's up to you if you think it's smart to deploy it. Yeah, that's a good question. Though. Like, what makes a language, like, usable? Well, what do like, you mean by usable? That's the well, thing. Is like, well, it has deployable, to like... like like for when you when you do your like silly projects and stuff, I think using languages that explore an idea are a really good idea, because for like you know using languages that explore concepts will help you theoretically, hopefully, you know, look, like approach that concept in a new way. Right, but then there's the other question of like, I need to make something that makes money, like for production. Like, should I use this language or not? And it has to like reach some critical mass, or you have to have a really good reason to use it, or you need to. I guess be a masochist and be okay with maintaining it over the next the lifetime of I mean, it. I mean, it's one of those things. I think your default plan is like you kind of have. I kind of well, think for languages, you can kind of have like your hammer that, like, for any general problem, you can have a hammer. Ruby. Ugh. Okay. Sure. For you. <laughs> um. I mean, for me, it would be JavaScript and Node. But you know, like with with no other information, like a hammer makes sense, kind of thing. And then. When you add things like you're working with another person, you need to think about what the common languages are or the common paradigms you understand. Um, if you are doing, you know, depending on where you're going to deploy, what are you going to need to do? And if you're, you know, or if you're solving a particular problem that some things are particularly good at solving, then 
could be could be a good idea to look into something else. Maybe we should just use Java for everything. And with that, Justin retired from the Turing Incomplete <laughs> podcast. Um, congratulations on a great year. Uh, no, but I thought I thought today we could uh, we could do a we have a reader topic that someone suggested in the the GitHub issues. Oh, so yeah. just a reminder to listeners that you can go on our GitHub and suggest things for us to talk about if you want us to talk about something. Um, and we or, might you talk know, about them. And we might talk about them. Might. <laughs> might. Um, and, or you can also suggest guests and things like that. Um, we'd love that. And so, Dylang. Oh, Dylan G. <laughs> 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 um, wow. Uh, that was, yep. Uh, so, Dylan G. Uh, suggests interviewing for ap- technical aptitude and potential. And I, I thought we should pick up this topic because I we did the interviewing episode. And, like It was a while ago. I think it was in October. And so we mostly talked about us interviewing at places. And I think we talked about, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, what it's like when you're the interviewer. And, but I think, I think we could expand more on it. And I, and I even actually, you know, I was at Queens JS because uh, I love me some, some local JavaScript groups. And someone talked. Uh, someone gave an interviewing talk. Uh, you know, just a short fifteen-minute talk, and it was good. And I, I think we should talk about interviewing. So, so how much have you all have you all been in the role where you've been asked to interview and and help hire? Not many times, honestly. Yeah, not many times. Um, a few times, but those few times we did many interviews. Yeah, yeah, I've I've interviewed a, a bit. So I think this is is also a specific question is not just so interviewing for technical aptitude and, and potential. I like the potential part. So like, how do you tell if someone has potential? This one bums me out because I've actually never I've never succeeded in getting someone who I thought had potential hired. I have tried. I actually even I was talking to someone yesterday about this. I tried in the past. There's a there have been a few a couple candidates that I said I know they don't know it now, but I really do think if you hired them that it would be fine. <laughs> Like I would like them on my team and like I, I passed all the things and they're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think they have enough experience or whatever. And I just like, uh, it, it bums me out, man. Yeah. I've, I've wondered that too. Like, how do you, I mean, I, it, like, I mean, like, I guess what... in my position, I, I could, I felt like I could tell they had potential for certain reasons, but I was bummed out that then the people who were, who had the power to make them an offer. So wouldn't... what were those reasons that made you think they had potential? Um, we coded together and I felt I felt like we could communicate well. And that was a big thing for me. I felt like they 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 had the, a common thing is they knew when they didn't know something. And so like for potential, you don't want someone you, if someone has potential and isn't quite there yet. I don't think you want them to go into a, a hole for a week before you know that they've been lost for a week. You want them to to know that they're lost. But also it's that also that balance of, you know, they don't I wanna ask say they don't ask stupid questions, but they don't know that they're stupid questions, so that's not really fair. But but becoming intimate with the, the you know, you know enough to know when it's appropriate to Google things, but if you've Googled all the things and you're still stuck, then that is an appropriate time to ask for help. Right. And I actually, you know, we actually, someone gave this as a tip for working at a curse center and I actually used it yesterday I, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't say stuck, like, you know, completely stuck for more than 15 minutes, which is a really like short. And I mean, completely stuck. Like I, like I ran into this cause I was just like, this does not work and I think it should work. And I do not know why. Like I was like, there has to be like some really dumb syntax error and I could waste, you know, I could I could possibly waste like two hours looking for this. And then it turned out that the method I was using on the the library literally didn't do what I thought it did. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, so like I I didn't quite understand the library completely, and I so I would have spent you know hours figuring that out when someone with a little bit more experience with that particular library told me in you know about like thirty seconds. And I was like, oh cool, thanks. I've seen interviewees be really reluctant to use Google, and I never know why. I think they feel like it's a test, and thus they get in their like standardized testing mode where they're being tested on you know all the knowledge they have in their head instead of the skills. Like I've very rarely seen a candidate willing to use Google, like if we're doing coding together, unless you know I prompt them and and let them know that it's okay. I mean. Yeah, I think I've also usually led. I, I do a bit of an intro when I mean when we're interviewing, and I say like, "Hey, there's um, 
you know, here, here's the lay, here's the layout. Like I want to see how we would actually work together. So at, like, you know, I, I actually make it clear before we even start coding, that's okay. Like, um, I understand the assumptions people have because people, like if you've gone into a whiteboard interview you th- or, you know, even like, co- like coding on paper, like you think that they expect you to do that, um, which is really, it just means that they're bad at interviewing. Um, or if you do that, you are bad at interviewing. If you ask someone to code on pen and paper um, and not use the tools that you would use on a regular basis, it's an unfair, unfair assessment. Yeah, I've, I've been in a few interviews where when I'm be- the one being interviewed, where I've been asked to do like whiteboard something, and I will ask like, "Hey, can I just open a text editor?" Because <laughs> it'd be, I don't ever my day to day job like write code on a whiteboard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you might you actually might write, draw like architecture diagrams, but yeah, you would never that's... write code on a whiteboard. Um, even when you get to pseudocode, I feel like I open a text editor. I mean, and but it's it's one of those things where. You got you got different different kinds of people, and some people are. I mean, and people are. Some people are absolutely terrified during an interview. And if you're like absolutely terrified, and you've kind of short circuited some of your your common sense cells, like you don't think, oh, this is really uncomfortable. If I open a comfortable space, then that would be great. Oh, I actually have a story about this. Uh, one of my friends told me a story that this is from years and years ago that he was interviewing uh, for an engineering role. And this person came in and they were so, they, they were so visibly uncomfortable. And then, then my friend kind of thought for a minute and he said, do you want to change into a t-shirt? Because he was wearing like a button down, like he was wearing like a, or a suit. And they gave him just like a company t-shirt and he went and changed and then he like did, gave an awesome interview. <laughs> like it was, it was just like, I mean, and it was, I think it's a great story because it, it shows how much difference it can be when someone feels comfortable. But also, I mean, I think it's, you know, I'm proud of my friend for having such, I mean, that that's emotional intelligence right there, you know, like being able to see, see that someone's uncomfortable and take a guess why. <laughs> Be like, you don't seem like this is how you normally act. <laughs> Speaking of like, that, what do you guys think about like asking what the dress code is before the interview? Like, I always feel awkward when I'd be interviewing somebody and they come in in a suit and we're all like in t-shirts and shorts. Oh, I mean, yeah, this isn't as much of a problem for me because I dress somewhat feminine in interviews, and so even if I'm a little bit fancy, the default is like, oh, it's just feminine. Mm. So like I, I, I wear I wear a little black dress and uh um like a I'll I'll wear like a cardigan because it's you know not a blazer and so then it won't feel as serious. It's like oh well she's just gonna be cold. Um, yeah, I, I've but, uh, told people before to not wear a suit just to be clear. Um, yeah, or even I mean even a, like a button down and slacks can I don't know some places I know for guys it seems too serious, but I don't know there's probably some some something. I think there. it's probably fine depending on the place like. If you're interviewing at the financial place, you probably have to dress up every day, so no sense in asking. But oh yeah, well, if you're interviewing like at a small consultancy, then you can say that. I mean, I think you can also roll it in. You can roll it into, you know, at, well, at, getting it back, to, like saying it as an interviewer when you're talking to someone. I also know people. People feel uncomfortable. I mean, I, I'm guilty of this before, like going, like not knowing what the full interview process was. You know, like going in and you don't like you honestly hadn't asked if it was going to be, you know, an hour or four hours. <laughs> and when when you're interviewing, that's like just one of those things you should communicate. It should be like, here's our address. Here's how to get in the door. Here's who you meet when you come in. Here's how long it's going to be in the process. And here's what to wear. <laughs> like it's really I mean, it shouldn't be a secret. Like you aren't testing whether someone knows how to dress or not. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you are. But I think you aren't. Is there an upside to having someone dress up? Uh, I mean, besides being classy. Yeah. I mean, I'm pro-classy, but, you know, that's me. I know some people are weird and say that if someone shows up in a suit, then they obviously don't understand our culture and we won't hire them. (laughs) And uh, those people should not be in hiring roles. I think Um, it's just Windows computers. (laughs) Totally just kidding. Uh, Totally just kidding. Oh, my goodness. That would be be so sad (laughs) if you actually thought that. So many people suffer through suffer through Windows while they have to until they get something else. I mean, or you know, I sorry, I guess I didn't didn't mean to hate on Windows, but I'll I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's some people who mumble, mumble, mumble. <laughs> you don't All think right, there's so. a secret uh, 
like, uh, what would wearing, I guess you could tell from a person's attire also about how well they keep themselves. You could be judgmental. <laughs> yeah, like, judgmental. You can, well, you can be well kept and not be in a suit also. Yeah, that's what I'm so, saying. You can just tell by their. That's so what also, I was trying there's, to say. there's this interesting thing that I don't have a reference to this. I mean, but someone was talking at a conference uh, last year, and they were talking about having having presence um, to what you would call gravitas, and or, or just in general professional presence. But gravitas is part of professional presence, and in the pie chart, what you what you dress and what you look like is like ten percent of your professional presence. The the lion's share is gravitas, which is some which is like a like kind of innumerable quality that some people have that like, that you can develop, but that when you talk, people listen. And it, it has to it has to do with confidence. It has to do with how you speak, how you like you know how you physically are in a room. Um, it's really hard to nail down, and so. I- what Sorry. I noticed is people, people, oh, no, it's just going to finish is that what I, what I noticed is a lot of people, you know, seem to focus, you know, that person gave that talk and I saw the pie chart and then all the questions were about what should I wear? And I was, I was like, but why aren't you focusing on the bigger part of the pie chart? Um, and I thought that that was interesting. I mean, I think people, people default to that stuff. I mean, like, cause I, I think it's one of those things, it's only 10%. And so if someone came in, you know, looking kind of messy, but they just came off like, wow, they really know what they're talking about and they they have a lot to offer this. I think they would still, I mean, unless you're bad at hiring, I think you should still give them the job. <laughs> right. Like there they are, still have a professional presence. But there's some there's some threshold like that you, that's sensible, right? Like if somebody smells, yeah, know, it might it might be, you know, there's there's some, some bar there that you need to meet before that becomes... Uh, viable right um so i think this has put you in a weird position i think if you're an interviewer you have an opportunity if something like that happens that actually hasn't happened to me but knowing from 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 other people's work environments and working with people who might not have had standard hygiene habits that you can do someone a really big favor if you are willing to just like go through that awkward 30 seconds and tell them (laughs) and tell them and i mean i know that you know Someone I know worked in a workplace where uh, where the, the the management actually did quietly do that for because sometimes sometimes people just come from a different background as well and then it's you know they they honestly do not know because that is what normal is for them and you know if no one tells them <laughs> how are they supposed to figure it out yeah that's a good point <laughs> so so the so the person you know at that place did you know not only did they you know do a service to everyone they were working with because you know they were currently working there um they also you know helped that person in the future by saying like this is you know this given this you know geographic area we work in like and this you know particular society this is kind of what we expect but do you wait Till after the interview, or do you do it during the interview? I think you would wait until, okay. like, or after or at the end, just like for awkward misreasons. Because also, I mean, you should hopefully still just be interviewing them, and if it's a if it's a resolvable thing, like maybe you even, you know, I don't know. I'm never gonna do that. I'll just put that. You're out never there. gonna do that. <laughs> never gonna, yeah. I can't even tell an interviewee that they're not getting the job when it's obvious they're not getting the job. I'll let you know. HR will get back to you. But you what have if an they HR department? You don't know they're, they don't know they're not getting the job. I mean, sometimes you do. I've interviewed someone where they knew. <laughs> like, they did just so badly. <laughs> and afterward, they, someone, like, management asked me. They're like, oh, yeah, I think they, they recovered. And I was like, no, they were awful. <laughs> we cannot hire them. What are you talking about? <laughs> they were awful. They know they were awful. It's okay. They can interview somewhere else. Is it fair <laughs> to say that they were awful, or should you? Is that one of those things where? I mean, I say that they're awful in the interview. I don't say they're an awful person. I don't mean they're an awful developer. I just mean that they interviewed really badly, and so we shouldn't hire them based on the information we have. Because mm. you, I mean, you're operating under really limited information. So that's what I'm saying. I, I'm operating under the information that I have. I guess that's yeah. That wasn't. That's a good question because that wasn't clear from what I was saying. When I say yeah, someone's awful, like one of those I mean they're like, I mean that they're awful in accords to how much I know about them, which is from you know I probably got a you know a half hour slot with them, 
Like, how much do you actually know about someone's skills after half an hour? What about saying, clearly, they're not the right fit, or they're not the right fit? And so, I feel like if someone said that was awful, I would would be like, oh, man. I mean, I didn't say it to them. I said it to the hiring person. I mean, I don't know. I probably... mm. I've given feedback to someone who wanted to know why they didn't get a job. And I was like, you interviewed really badly. <laughs> you you looked like you didn't know anything. And so you didn't get the job. <laughs> like, that's, you know, and I, it was, I, I also do that over the phone. I'll never do that over text uh, or textual media. Because it comes off unemotional. I think, yeah, because there's no, yeah, because it comes off really cold. Um, so I'll, I'll only do it over the phone when I can say like, I'm going to be honest with you because I, because I would want someone to be honest with me. And that's why I would do it that way. I'm mean <laughs> because I would want someone to be mean to me. <laughs> and I have had people do it. Like I, you know, years ago when I was interviewing for jobs, when, before I got better at hunting for jobs, I was still playing the resume game, which is the resume game is dumb. And I asked someone to look at my resume and they gave, you know, pretty harsh feedback. They were like, your resume doesn't tell me anything and it's kind of useless. And I was like, that is really good feedback. <laughs> and gave me, and they said, they didn't just say, here's what's bad. They said, and here's what you can do better. And here's like, how, like kind of in a direction that you would take that. It was such good feedback. Good, good criticism is, you know, worth its weight in gold. I think sometimes, um, I've, I've definitely been on both ends of this, I think. Definitely on the interviewee end, um, where I think I would have been a good fit for the job, um, but the interview process put me in an uncomfortable position where I didn't perform to my best. Like One example is like uh, like group interviews, um, when there's the interviewee and then there's maybe three or four employees that that all know each other, that all have, you know, a rapport already. Um, I think just, like, naturally, that kind of environment is hostile towards the other person. Was it one of those situations where they're trying to prove to each other how much they know? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that. I just, I just think it just, like, generally feels hostile when there's when you're interviewing with more than one person. I, I, think, I think one-on-one interviews in serial are better than doing them all at once. Well, how, well how, wait, how many people was it? I, I've I've been in a couple where it's been you know and not not all these have been bad but I, I've I've interviewed places or or been interviewing people at places where um, there's like maybe three or four, four people that are interviewing one person at the same time and and oh that's way too much question. I thought yeah yeah I thought you were gonna say two because I actually like the two because it can be kind of interesting to you know to switch off and like you I mean and also you know theoretically. Like, if you have two people interviewing one candidate, then, I mean, literally you have two people who are getting the same experience. And so mm. then then in terms of, you know, comparisons, and also, I mean, then you don't have to ask the same person to do the same thing over and over again, because that's really not cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think two, two is a good number. Um, because you can, li- so that way you can literally have the same experience and say, well, I thought when they did this, that that meant this. And then the person, your, the person, your colleague may completely disagree. And it gives you a good perspective. I think it's the think, worst. I think two, two doesn't feel like a team up. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I think the worst example of this is like in like a programming interview. Like if um, imagine you're pairing with somebody at the company and, and just working on a problem. But let's say instead of pairing with one person, you're there's like four people watching you code. <laughs> uh, that can be extremely stressful. I mean, pair programming is already um, stressful enough for people that aren't used to it. I think like that sort of... Uh, mob review of somebody coding is really stressful in an interviewee. I agree. Also, I think something that you're probably talking about is like in the group when there's three or four and they're making like inside jokes or... Yeah. Sometimes it goes okay where like you instantly feel like a part of and and welcome, but like they can go bad really easily too and it's not really indicative of like that you're not a, a fit for the team or for the culture or for the position. It's just... You know, you can't always uh, gel well with a, with a group in, in a half hour, you know? My favorite tip is to not be afraid to, um, you know, tell what you know, even if you don't know the answer to the question. So kind of like reframe the question. Politicians are really good at this when they don't want to answer a question. That's an interviewing tip, <laughs> but, but yes. Yeah, I was, I was so confused. I was like, hold on. Oh, wait, I thought we were talking about interviewing... We're talking about if you interview people. Oh. Inter- interviewering. 
Well, in order to talk about one, you have to talk about the other. Right? That is true. And we have. And we okay. have. Okay. I mean. I'll cut this out. I guess. No, don't cut oh. your tip out. Just cut. Yeah, I like No, I tip. talked about it, it last time anyway. Oh, okay. I just didn't, I didn't mean to hater button you, but I just wanted to make sure you knew what we were talking about. Hater button. Hater button. Hater button is when, when someone calls, when you call somebody and and uh, before it finishes ringing, it, you know, says call canceled. Someone's hater buttoning you. <laughs> really? Hater button. Well. Could you repeat your definition again? <laughs> I, no. I urban dictionary. Oh, no. oh, God. Don't urban dictionary anything. Um, but now I have to search. Use semaphore in a sentence. <laughs> well, that that's what I was going to mention, right? So you don't really care that someone you know, knows what a semaphore is. You just want to know that they know things. So Why? If wait, you got... wait, do they have to know anything about a semaphore? No, but I mean, that might be a question that you ask somebody. I would rec- no, I, I disagree. I feel like that sounds like tricks. I don't like tricks. Well, no, the, the logical yes. progression would be like, do you know what a semaphore is? And you say no. Do you know what a mutex is? No. Um, if two things are trying to access the same thing at the same time, do you understand how a lock would work there? Maybe they say yes, yeah. maybe they say no, and then they keep going. Yeah, I mean, well, that would be a good you, question. You never... I don't like that. That's too stressful. I've had that done to me before, and I thought it was terrible, and I actually didn't continue the interview process with that place. I mean, that would what be a that? legitimate <laughs> question for a C++ developer. Like, Yeah, this is not a question for somebody writing you know, front-end JavaScript, probably, um, or a Rails app for... for... Yeah, like, or a lot of things, Justin. Yeah. Um, but no, it's definitely a legitimate a question if you're doing because Len multi-threaded. Said, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that... Brings up a point of like, how it, hard do you then break down the problem, and then do you break it down into like really simple terms? I feel like even saying a lock. I just I think, I think that, that I mean yeah I think why you could just start with like why wouldn't you just start with the simple thing instead of quizzing someone on vocabulary? I mean that totally depends on your context. Like saying like what you mean. Yeah. yeah, I think the C plus plus thing is right. Like if you're in that space, then you should know the terms. It's like a common vocabulary, I guess. Um, but I like when you were like, well, well, how would a lock work here? But I almost think another question can be, uh, like, how would you design something? Or, like, what would you use? Um, yeah, I was going to start saying that um, I I personally would never ask that question. Um, I usually just talk to people and say, you know, tell me about, you know, your last project. Um, or tell me about something you're working on in your uh, personal project. It could be, it could be any project. And then just start asking questions about that. And I think with a conversation with somebody, you can kind of suss out really well like what they know and what what they're comfortable doing, and um, and also potential. I don't I don't think you need to ask you know like Pam was saying vocabulary questions. So you're saying so you're saying come up with a, a fictional problem like a thought experiment and be like, and what would you do? Um, you I was could do that. I would I would make it too fictional. Uh, oh, not I mean, but like a I mean I guess maybe not. You don't like the word fictional, but um, hypothetical. Contrived. <laughs> I was more yeah. saying that if they if person did not know something, you kind of ask them a, a simpler version to see what their thought process around it is, and then because most of the times people have the same answers to things, right? They just have to work harder. To get there, like if you don't know a design pattern, you might just write the code in the design pattern and not know you use the design pattern. So conceptually, like what were you th- like? How do you think this should work? I generally like Justin's strategy of leaving questions way more open. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite question is just well, my two favorite questions would be, you know, what's your favorite the favorite project you ever worked on, and just let them tell me about that. And the second favorite one is like, what's the hardest technical problem you've had in the last couple of years? And let them tell me about that. I, I mean, struggle it, it's with... kind of dependent on the role, but I generally want people, I don't want to know what they don't know. I just want to know that they know things and are potentially good. I do really bad with uh, my favorite questions. That is interesting. Like, like I, I don't rank my projects. <laughs> Justin, what's the favorite thing you've worked on? See, I have no idea. Yep, nothing. Why do people put so much emphasis? I mean, it's good to know what you do, what someone doesn't know, but why do you put so much emphasis if they don't know it? That's a good point, Len. You just like blew my mind up. Is that some uh, some tie into uh, 
industrialization in, in our school system where you're tested on things and then whatever you do bad in, they, they keep pushing you towards. Like, hey, you get better at this. <laughs> Instead of uh, cultivating what you know what really well. Maybe. But school doesn't not hire you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they might in college and uh, yeah. private schools. Pam, do you have to interview anybody for Recurse Center, like future uh, attendees? Uh, no, but I can if I want to. It's actually a good thing to think about. Alumni uh, do interviews now. Oh, cool. And it's, a, it's actually just a, it's a freelance gig, so you get paid for it. <laughs> um, so uh, wow. it could be fun. Because it's also, you get to, um, the interview process is, is pretty nice. You, like the, the two layers are, I, I think I think the, the interviewers would do the, the second and third rounds. Um, or maybe maybe just third round. But um, you do a, like talking about what and why you want to come. And then third round is pairing. And so I think that'd be that'd be fun to to pair with people. What are they looking for when you when you applied? Like, um, do they have any traits or bullet points that they're they're looking for? Absolutely, and yeah, and I it's it's very transparent. It's you know if you uh, like why do you want to come? Like if you if you want to come because you want to start a company or something, then you shouldn't come. If you want to come because you don't know how to program at all, you shouldn't come. Um, and you're looking because you're looking for a boot camp or something. You're looking for someone to teach you, um, and that's not going to happen. Um, so you need to already know how to program, um, and that you. And I think the third point is just like generally being curious and interested. And I think other people in in the batches have said that we have a suspicion that there's also a you know what do you have to offer? Um, I mean, and everyone has something to offer. So like I think that that could be a scary one for some people. Um, like, oh, I didn't do anything super awesome. I shouldn't apply. But that's not true because there's people who, you know, there's some people who are coming from different backgrounds and then that's a very valuable experience to bring to the table. You know, if you're a physicist who's trying to be a software developer, then you know lots of stuff that other people don't know. Um, so I think there, there's also that. So that you'll, that, you know, the, which I think that this is a, you know, this is, you know, probably maybe it's more important for a programming treat than like, you know, we just want to do jobs and stuff. But at least for me personally, like whenever I work at a place or I, I participate in, in anything, like in an environment or a group, I always think about how have I made the group better for me having been there. And if I don't have an answer, then I probably shouldn't be there. <laughs> um, and that goes for jobs. And that's a personal thing of mine. If I cannot, if I can't say why a place is better for me having been there, then I shouldn't be there. Hmm. But what about the place making you better? I guess there's always a reciprocal relationship. What? Or? Yeah, no. Like it should always be reciprocal. Yeah, like if I'm if I'm getting better and not giving anything back and not making it better in return, then like I've met people who do that and they're not good people. Those are those are people who take advantage of things and don't they don't have kindness and compassion and all those good things that I think make you be a good human. <laughs> you know, kindness, compassion, respect. Um, I think if you have kindness, compassion, and respect, you end up giving back. My my feels on being a good human being it doesn't really lead into another question. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, <laughs> who disagrees with being a good human being? <laughs> like I totally get what you're saying, but that's a hard. I think some people might be giving back and they don't know, and then they they think that they're not, and then you just quit your job because you're too hard on yourself. I mean, that's okay too. You could quit your job. We're pro-quitting. Is this your final week or is it next week? Well, I mean, I don't know if you should say that because I don't know if this will be published ever <laughs> or when the episode is going to get published. Uh, um, this week. Tomorrow. This week? Tomorrow at 8 a.m. Between yep. 8 and 10. Has Lynn committed to that? No. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did say tomorrow. Okay, I'm well, at the time so, so yeah, so this is my last week at Recurse Center. So I will be a, a never graduate. So the, the motto of Recurse Center is never graduate because you should always be learning and you know, being curious and interested in stuff. So you are like never graduate. Sounds like I'm gonna quit a week before it finishes, or or just never leave. <laughs> but tomorrow so never, is your official. I, I, today. Today is your oh wow. So yeah, I'm super sad. You're coming back by bus or train? Car. Car. <laughs> Mike's coming to pick me up. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it's kind of the rules. <laughs> I moved up here on the train, <laughs> so 
I'm coming back with a little bit more stuff as as it happens. You know, you accumulate stuff over three months. What's the coolest thing you've accumulated? Well, I haven't really like bought so much stuff as like I've gradually brought some stuff back from Philadelphia. So I have like my oh, okay. yoga mat and like my quilt. I did not originally bring my yoga mat and my quilt. I thought you went shopping in some interesting stores and got some stuff. And you know, no, oh, I, I really, I, I only, I, I bought like some makeup from a store that's in New York, but not in Philadelphia. But that's, I, I got that because it doesn't take up space. So what store is I, it? Benefit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ridiculously expensive, but so should we do picks? Sure. Uh, I'll go oh. first. Um, my pick this week is this video by Kevin Giese. It's how to learn to code. I really liked it. It's exactly what I tell people, except he articulated it way better than I ever could. And he basically just suggests, you know, just learning and following your passion. Uh, it was a really good video. And uh, I've been taking that advice. I've been trying to learn Elixir and just doing it very slowly. And I decided to just start building something I want to build with it even though I'm ridiculously slow, uh, but I'm finding it to be a lot more fun than just learning it for learning it. Uh, so that's my pick. Pam, do you have a pick? I do. I'm trying to decide between, uh, maybe I'll do, just do the two picks instead of saving one. But so Turn.js is one of my picks. It seems like it might be an older project, but someone told me about it. It's a code analysis engine for JavaScript um, meant to be used with, with your text editor. Um, but basically, it's a, I mean, really, to summarize, I it seems to me like a plug-in to turn your favorite flavor of text editor into a helpful IDE-like, without kind of the bad connotations of that environment. Like, you get you get function uh, argument do- uh, documentation, you get definitions, you even get some type, uh, some type signatures. Uh, and so it's, it's really useful. Um, uh, someone I was talking with yesterday showed me how they use it in Emacs, but it's oh, that uh, person's awesome. What you don't use Emacs, whatever hipster. Anyway, um, the but it's for lots of editors. So you've got Emacs, Vim, Sublime, Brackets, Lighttable, Eclipse, if you want that. But um, no, but they it was cool. They were they were trying to uh, show me some some Emacs stuff, and they said Emacs is great for JavaScript, and I was like, I've never heard anyone say those words. Um, but uh, it's pretty cool. Second pick is an uh, article I haven't read yet, but it seems it's lots of beautiful pictures. Um, but uh, but an article on racking MacBook Pros, like using MacBook Pros as like uh, image processing, it looks like, I think. And so they actually, you know, racked them. <laughs> and uh, kind of interesting seeing it put in a data center, a rack full of MacBook Pros. Pictures are beautiful, but I should actually read the article. I read that. It was pretty good. It was interesting. Your pro, what, what exactly? So, what exactly did they do? Because I, ha- I just saw it this morning and hadn't finished it. <clears throat> they designed a case to fit four Mac Pros in a, I guess, like a four or five U rack, um, and properly, you know, have cables in the back and and do ventilation properly. Um, essentially, they do image processing, and um, Mac Pros are very powerful, and also uh, they use a lot of graphics libraries that are built into OS X. Um, that are very high quality and very fast. So they usually use Mac Minis, um, and they decided to try out a Mac Pro. Um, I, I, I don't think they posted like costs and uh, return on investment, but I, they did post uh, efficiency of like, I guess, I think it said port efficiency, which I wasn't really understanding, but it seemed like they had some kind of metric as to like how much they were wasting with like the rack essentially um and they i think they have more efficiency with the mac pros and the mac minis as for as far as like their their throughput that they, they can how, how many images they can process with with in the same rack yeah it's pretty interesting it definitely looks weird to take a, a round computer and put it sideways in a in a in a box with three others the um, images are nice though They're, yeah they show them how they stack them Oh, yeah, and they have on the website they have um, this live uh, like editor, and I think what you're doing is like you're clicking different um, different filters like blur or overlay, and when you click it, it sends it off to a server and like does the processing and returns it back to the browser, uh, and it's pretty fast. You can just like, click it and it it does stuff to images. It's pretty pretty fast. And based on their data center shots, they they must have a uh, a ton of traffic. They must have a lot of a lot of clients. 
I was curious if they could just take the hardware out of the case and put that in a box. That's probably a different set of uh, issues. Why mess with the beautiful trash can? <laughs> when you need 40 trash cans in a rack. Justin, do you have a pick? Yeah, uh, I'm picking uh, this company called 3D Robotics. Uh, 3D Robotics, if I think come out clearly. Uh, they're making a, a quadcopter. I've been kind of into quadcopters recently. I don't have any nice ones. I just have these uh, two that cost like $25 and $50 on Amazon and are kind of junky, but they're, they're fun to play with. Um, but I have a GoPro that I got for Christmas two years ago, and 3D, 3D Robotics is making a quadcopter called the Solo, um, which is built for GoPros uh, and also has a bunch of really intelligent um, software on it. And it's also open source software, I believe. And software does this really cool stuff where you can do uh, uh, a selfie, a pan out selfie. So the quadcopter will take off, point the GoPro at you, and then um, it will fly up and away and keep the camera pointed at you. So yeah, it's like really dramatic, like pull away effect. Um, it has a cable cam where you can just draw a point between two GPS points and it will go back and forth along that that um that line and can even uh automatically pan the camera back and forth from two set positions and it has an orbit where it will fly around a point and keep the camera pointing at that point the entire time so i do some like very amateur photography and um my family likes to hike a lot and and do outdoorsy stuff so i really want one it's quite expensive uh i think it's like over a thousand dollars um i haven't decided i probably won't buy one because they're expensive um but i really want one 3D Robotics Solo. Jervon, do you have a pick? Yes, I have many picks. Um, so my first pick is Aaron Patterson's Rails Conf Talk. I think most of the Rails Conf Talks, Rails Conf Talks are um, on YouTube. And then uh, this open source book came out this week about uh, ClojureScript called ClojureScript Unraveled. And it's not totally done, um, but it's a pretty good. The introduction parts are done, and it's a pretty good introduction. Um, and then my music pick um, is a song called God's Whisper by I think an artist called Rory R-A-U-R-Y um, it's a pretty like pump me up song or pump anyone up song um, and those are my picks and Pam I do use Emacs <laughs> since when? it's been a long hard road but uh, I think this week is my first like was my first full week with it do you use like evil mode? Week. I use evil mode, which okay. some people might not say is uh might say it's not really Emacs, but um, I really wanted to tr- just try the other side and see what it's like. Um, so I'm not really wasting time since I'm using evil mode. I'm still productive the same, um, but it took a while to get there. Um, so yeah, and time machine keeps trying back on my computer, and for some reason that's pegging my CPU. Sorry. Cool. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 49. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. See ya.